This morning we're beginning a new sermon series called Red Letters, and it's really interesting. Uh, it was totally unplanned, but we started a new Sunday school quarter this morning, and the lesson we had, the introduction, was talking about red letter days. Uh, that was totally unplanned, uh, but they're kind of connected. Uh, in the Sunday school lesson, it was explaining that red letter days are days that you commemorate as something positive or something special happened. Uh, and the reason they're called that, because back in the 1500s, they would mark certain days on the church calendar. Uh, part of uh, like Epiphany and Easter, they would mark those in red and set them aside on red. And uh, we even said, if you look at some calendars, even today, Sundays are marked off in red on calendars. And that's where the idea of red letter days comes from. And the sermon series for the next several weeks are going to be looking at some of the red letter words of Jesus in Scripture. How many of you have a Bible where the words of Christ are in red? You ever wondered why they did that? Uh, it goes back to an idea uh, where the church set aside what are called the dominical words of Christ. And these are the things that Jesus spoke during His earthly ministry. Uh, so from the time uh, he, he started teaching up until the time He ascended into heaven, these are considered the dominical words of Christ. Uh, and in the 1899, a guy named Louis Klops, uh, he was an editor of this periodical called the Christian Herald, he decided he was going to put all the words of Christ in red. These dominical words. And the reason they were going to put them in red was based upon the passage, Luke twenty two twenty, talking about the new covenant found in His blood, and blood is red. So they said, well, we'll put the words of Christ in red. So in 1899, the first New Testament with the words of Christ in red came out. A couple of years later, they put the full Bible out with the words of Christ in red. Most Bibles now that have the words of Christ in red have extended it beyond just the dominical words. Those are the words from, like I said, when His ministry began up until the time He ascended. Uh, interestingly enough, the Bible I'm using this morning does not have the words of Christ in red, but the one I've been reading during my daily devotionals, I noticed that in Revelation, a couple places in Acts, anything that Jesus said, even post-ascension, is now in red. So that's where that comes from, and it kind of makes sense. The reason they're in red is because His covenant, uh, every Sunday morning we meet around the table and celebrate the new covenant found in His blood. And I thought it would be interesting to go through chronologically through the gospel. So we're not going straight through one gospel. We're going to kind of jump around. And we're not going to look at every single word in red. Uh, some of the things Jesus said were things that He was talking specifically to the people that were there. He was talking specifically to His apostles. Not that we can't get something out of it, but I thought we would do a survey of some of the major teachings and the major things that Jesus said that are found in these red letters. Uh, so this morning we're looking at a foundational thing. We're going to look at some things that happened leading up to Jesus' ministry. And next week we're going to jump headfirst into the Sermon on the Mount. And we'll be there for two or three weeks going through some of the things Jesus said. But here in Matthew 4, we're going to see the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. He goes out into the wilderness for 40 days, led by the Holy Spirit. And then Satan tempts him. And we have some words recorded that Jesus spoke during this temptation. And we're going to look at these and we're going to look at some things he says immediately following that temptation to kind of set up the foundation. Because these things that Jesus says here establish the basis for his ministry for the rest of his time on earth. And it's the things that we base what we do on Sunday mornings and in our daily lives upon. So before we jump at some of these teachings, we want to look at the foundation as Jesus begins his ministry. The first thing that happens is Jesus is baptized by John, not because he needed to be 
Uh, he said he did it to fulfill all righteousness. Those are some red letters there. And in that moment, you hear the Father speak from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son. And you see the Holy Spirit just descend like a dove and land on Him. And then it's immediately the next thing that happens in chapter 4 of Matthew, it says, The Holy Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He's out there for 40 days, uh, which parallels Moses and the Israelites being in the wilderness for 40 years. It parallels... Uh, it rained 40 days and 40 nights when God flooded the world. You see that number show up all throughout Scripture. Don't know why God chose 40, but He chose 40. So I'm just going to begin reading uh, in chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After He had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, He was hungry. That seems like an understatement. Think about what you would feel like if you had gone 40 days and 40 nights and not eaten. He's hungry. He's physically weak. Then the tempter, Satan, approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. It says if. Satan doesn't doubt who Jesus is right here. He knows exactly who he's dealing with. It's probably better rendered into English, Since you are the Son of God, prove it. Remember being kids on the playground and you dared somebody? I dare you. Go ahead, do it. I dare you. Or... Clint Eastwood has a famous saying in some of his movies, Make my day. The devil is basically drawing a line in the sand and, Alright, Jesus, prove who you are. I dare you. I dare you. One of my favorite movies is Christmas Story. And he double-dog dares the guy to stick his tongue to the ball. Satan is daring Jesus to prove who he says he is. And Jesus responds, and here's the first of the red letters we're looking at this morning. He responds, he says, it is written. Whenever you see that in Scripture, whether it's Jesus talking or someone, when it says, it is written, or if you have heard it said, he's quoting Scripture. And in this case, he's going to be quoting the book of Deuteronomy, which is really important. I think there's some parallels here. I already mentioned the 40 days in the wilderness parallels the 40 years in the wilderness. The book of Deuteronomy was given to Moses at the end of his life, after they had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and they're getting ready to go into the promised land with Joshua. And Jesus quotes from this book. Satan says, since you're the Son of God and you're starving, I know you're hungry, since you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. You can do that, can't you? Sure, you can do that. And Jesus says, it is written... And, he, and right here he quotes Deuteronomy 8.3. Man must not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And if you go back and look that passage up in Deuteronomy, Moses is speaking to the people and he's referencing the manna that God had been providing from heaven for 40 years. That has sustained them and kept them alive. And Moses is saying it takes more than just this bread from heaven to feed you and to keep you alive. That physically keeps you alive and physically nourishes you but you need to listen to the things I'm saying. And remember, Moses is giving them the law for the second time to prepare them. He's like, you need to listen to this. And this is what Jesus quotes back to Satan. And it says, Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, and had him stand on the highest pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If, or since you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written... Remember I said, whenever you see, for it, for it is written, whoever's saying it is quoting Scripture. The devil actually quotes the Bible to Jesus right here. He's like, who can play that game? Since you want to quote Scripture to me, let me quote some to you, Jesus. Since you're the Son of God, it says in the Bible, He will give His angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. 
How about that? I dare you. Go ahead, prove it. Jesus told him, It is also written, Do not test the Lord your God. And he's quoting Deuteronomy 6.16 here. Once again, Moses, as he was writing Deuteronomy and giving them this word from God, he says, we've been testing God for 40 years in this wilderness. That's why we're not where we're supposed to be. That's why I'm not even getting in. Don't test God. It won't work out in your favor. And then it says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And that's Deuteronomy 6.13. Then the devil left him and angels came and began to serve him. So why is this important? Why are we starting with these red letters of Christ? Well, first of all, these three temptations are temptations that are common to all of us. It's important because Hebrews 4.15, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, he's talking about Jesus being our high priest and taking His blood on our behalf to parallel what the high priest had to do all throughout their history. He says, our high priest was perfect. He didn't have to make sacrifice for himself. He could go in because he was perfect. He was sinless. And in Hebrews 4.15 it says, our high priest was tempted in every single way that we are. In order for Jesus to, to live a perfect human life and be our example and then go and die for our sins, he had to understand what it's like to be human. It says he was tempted in every way. And these three temptations encompass what being a human is about. The first one was weakness of the flesh. He hadn't eaten in 40 days. He's hungry. He's tired. He's weak. They say that when you go a certain amount of time without food and nourishment, you actually start to hear and see things that aren't there. He's physically at his breaking point. And here's the thing. He could have turned bread, turned the stones into bread and fed himself because he was the Son of God. He was God in the flesh. What Satan dared him to do, Jesus was fully capable of doing it. But Jesus gave us an example in these words. It's more than just physical nourishment. It's more than just surviving physically. We have to care for our spiritual health. And God will give us spiritual nourishment. And Jesus overcame this temptation of the weakness of this flesh through these words. The second one is the temptation of having pride or being boastful. He said, since you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. Jesus came to be King. He came to be Messiah. What better way to show the world He was Messiah than to jump off the top of the temple and float to the ground or have angels bring Him down like a king? Everybody would have seen it. And all of those people for the three years of His ministry that doubted Him and challenged Him, they would have believed from the very beginning. If he floated to the ground on a cloud or in the hands of angels from the temple, they would have seen and go, well, that looks like the Messiah we're looking for. That looks like the Messiah we've been waiting for. And here's the thing that I have always grappled with. In order for it to be a temptation, it had to have been something that in his flesh would have been alluring to him. I understand the first one. 40 days of not eating, I'm hungry. If I could make bread, I'd have made it. I understand that one. Jesus knew He was King. 
He knew what it entailed. He knew the rights that he had. He had the name above every name. He knew that one day every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. But he did it according to the Father's will, which means he had to suffer. Had he demonstrated something like this through a magic trick or some supernatural introduction to the world, he probably could have avoided a lot. But notice what Jesus says. Don't test the Lord your God. Jesus could have called angels to catch him, to stop his fall. It actually says he could have called a legion of angels to take him down off the cross. But Jesus says, follow the Lord's will. Do what the Father wills you. Don't test Him. Don't try to bargain with Him. Just trust Him. So when we look at these letters, do not test the Lord your God. We need to understand and trust that His will is what's best for us, even if we don't understand, even if it means a long, hard road ahead of us. We don't need to test Him. We don't need to try to bargain with Him. We don't need to dare God the Father We just need to trust. And then the last one, the lust of the eyes. This is an interesting one too because some scholars ask, did Satan really have the power to offer up the the kingdoms of the world? The Bible does say that he is the prince of this world. He's the prince of the air. But he's also the father of lies. He's offering something that's not his to give. But Jesus, knowing that he is king... And once again, this had to be alluring to him. This had to have been a temptation or else there's no point to it. He knew he was going to be king. He knew he would sit on the throne and everybody would bow and worship him. And if he'd have just done this, he could have skipped all that other stuff. The suffering and the pain and going to the cross. And he could have just been king and everybody bowed and worshipped. But there was a catch that he said, but Satan says, you have to bow down and worship me. And in these red letters, we he, he worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Deuteronomy 6.13 The reason Moses had to keep reminding the people in Deuteronomy is because that had been one of the things that they had constantly messed up for 40 years. The very first two commandments says, I am the Lord your God. Have no other God before me. Make no other idols. And they continually blew it. And Jesus in these red letters reminds us that there's only one God. There's only one thing we should serve and that is God the Father the world has all of these things that look good to us all these promises that sound good to us but they belong to the devil and he's the father of lies he will tell you he can give you things that he can't give that aren't his to give he can tell you you'll be better off you'll have more fun it'll feel better but he's a liar and Jesus reminds us to worship God and serve him only Paul in 1 Corinthians 10.13. The reason this is important, the writer of Hebrews sums it up. He was tested just like every single one of us. He understands when we are being tempted. He understands what we are going through. He's the only one. Sometimes we are tempted to tell people, I know what you're going through. We really don't. But Jesus does. That's why this is important. That's why these red letters are so important in this conversation between Jesus and Satan, because he was experiencing everything that we're going to experience in this life. And then in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul says, when we are tempted, God won't let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. He gives us a way out in Jesus' words. Show us. 
When Satan came at Jesus, daring Him, what did Jesus do? He used the Word of God and found an escape and overcame temptation. And then it says, The devil left and angels came and began to serve Him. I want to briefly here look at a few more red letters right here at the end of Matthew chapter 4. And this sets up everything that's going to come through the following Sundays. I'm not going to read through all this, but what happens is John the Baptist has been arrested and he's being held in prison where he's eventually going to die. Jesus goes back to uh, Galilee. He leaves Nazareth. He goes and lives in Capernaum. Uh, Matthew says this was to fulfill what one of the prophets had written about him. And then in verse 17, it says, From then on Jesus began to preach, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And we get these red letters. This is almost identical to the message that John the Baptist began to preach when he first came on the scene. John said, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is coming. He came to make a path so that the Messiah could come. And now John is out of the way and Jesus' ministry has begun. He's been baptized to fulfill all righteousness. He's been tempted by the devil and overcome. And now he says, Repent, change the way you think. The kingdom of heaven is not coming. What does it say? It has now come near. And everything is going to build upon this set of red letters. We're still called to repent. Peter on the day of Pentecost, as he's preaching this sermon, the people ask what they need to do to be saved. He says, repent. That is the message all throughout Scripture. That's the message the prophets spoke to both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. They said, repent, change the way you think about these things, and then adjust your life accordingly. Jesus says, repent, because now the kingdom of heaven has come near. We've talked about this in other sermons. We've talked about it in other Bible studies. The kingdom of heaven is not something waiting for us. Now the fulfillment of God's kingdom and the ultimate realization of God's kingdom is still in the future. That day that will come, the day of the Lord, which we were talking about in Sunday school this morning, will Christ will return, put all of His enemies at His feet, and then He'll make all things new. That part of the kingdom we're still waiting for. But once you accept Christ, you make Him your Lord and your Savior. You confess your sins. You're baptized into Him and your sins are forgiven and you're filled with the Spirit. You are part of the kingdom right at that moment. Jesus is initiating the kingdom and what's going to follow on the Sermon on the Mount, which we start next week, is Jesus saying, the kingdom is here, it's now, and this is how you become a part of it. And those red letters still stand for us today. Repent. Wherever we are today, change the way we think and understand the kingdom of God is here. It's now. It's something we can experience and be a part of. Paul says, we are in this world, but we're not part of it. We are citizens of another kingdom. And then I want to look at one last section of red letters right here as we close up this morning. Jesus calls His first disciples. And you have to do some application for these red letters because He's specifically talking to a group of guys here. But there is an application for us. It says, As He was walking along the Sea of Galilee, He saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the sea. Why? They're fishermen. They're working. They're doing what they do. And look at these red letters. He says, follow me. Now he's specifically talking to those guys right there. Follow me. But you know what? When you read throughout the Gospels and then you, later you read 
the writings of the apostles in the New Testament, isn't Jesus still saying those same things to us today? To follow Him? To make Him the Lord of our lives? To take up our cross and be disciples? He wanted those two guys to pack up right then and right there and go with Him. But He's still making the same plea to us today. Whatever we're chasing, wherever we're focused on, Jesus says, stop looking at that stuff. Stop focusing on that. Look at me and follow me. So that message still rings true today. He says, follow me and then I will make you fish for people. I will make you fishers of men. Remember that little song we used to sing? I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And then he goes and finds some more brothers and he starts to build up these 12 apostles that follow him everywhere. And like I said, he's still specifically speaking to these guys right here. He's like, I'm going to make you fishers of men. You're going to go out and you're going to teach this message and you're going to bring people into my kingdom. But there is an application for those of us today. Because one of the last things Jesus says before the ascension at the end of Matthew's gospel, and we're going to get to that in a few weeks, He says, go into the world, and He's not just talking to the twelve, He's talking to all the disciples that are there. He says, go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all the things that I've taught you. And that's what we call the Great Commission, and it still stands today. Disciples are supposed to go out and make disciples. So even though in these red letters He's specifically talking to these guys and says, I have a special mission The application is that today if you are a disciple, if you are a follower, if you've you've heeded the other message, if you've repented and become part of the kingdom and you're now following Christ, you know what He's made you? A fisher of men. And you're supposed to go out and share the gospel through the things we say and the things we do. And we're to lead people to Jesus and make more disciples. Red letters. There are a lot of people that, that... Try to say, well, we don't know Jesus said these things. There are a lot of scholars who are probably more intelligent than I when it comes to books and things like that that try to write off these things and say, we can't really know what Jesus says. Well, I I know that the Bible says of itself that it's God-breathed. And it's from God. I have no doubt that Jesus spoke these things to these people living back then and he's still speaking from the words that we read and he's especially speaking from those that if your Bible has them in red that are in red next week we're going to start with the Beatitudes this sermon as Jesus' ministry kicks off he's going to start teaching a lot of things about how to become part of the kingdom and it's going to begin with the Beatitudes and that's where we're going to be next week so if you want to read ahead it's Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 12 is where we'll be next week But these foundational things, remember, as you read through these, these are not just little stories. These are not just little things. This is Jesus setting the foundation for everything that's going to come. And if we are followers this morning, and we claim to be people of the way, that's what Christians were first called before they were called Christians, people of the way, if we're truly following, if we're truly living these red letters, we can take confidence in the fact that through this conversation that he had with Satan, that he understands what we're going through. Every temptation, the writer of Hebrews says, he was tempted in every way. And then Paul reminds us that he always provides a way. Jesus showed us a way to avoid temptation. Quote God's Word. If you're going to use the Scriptures to fight temptation, what do you need to know? 
You need to know Scripture. And He's still calling people to repent. He's still telling people that the kingdom of heaven is here. He's still telling us that to be a part of the kingdom, all we have to do is follow Him. And He's still telling us that if we're in the kingdom, we need to be going out and fishing for people. I hope this is exciting to you. This is exciting. I'm, I'm having a good time reading through these. A lot of this stuff is going to sound really familiar to us. We're going to say, well, I know the Beatitudes. I know the Lord's Prayer. I've, I've read all this. I know what it means to be sight, salt and light and a light on the hill. And I understand we have to keep things in context and understand who Jesus was speaking to and what He was talking about when He spoke to them. But I also believe He's still speaking to us. And we have a lot to learn so I challenge you over the next several weeks, don't think to yourself, well, I know this and just kind of nod off or just kind of let it go in one ear. Chew on these red words. Really listen to them. Really hear what Jesus has to say. And I think He's going to challenge us. Uh, this series of sermons sprung off a conversation we had in Sunday school a few weeks ago. We were going through the Lord's Prayer and we got to talking about that part where Jesus says, if you don't forgive other people, I won't forgive you. And we were thinking... It might be interesting. It might be important for us to see the things that Jesus says and figure out exactly what He's talking about. So that's what we're going to do in the next several weeks. I hope you're excited about it. I hope you come back next week. And like I said, if you want to read ahead, next week we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, 1 through 12. All right.